It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Okay, the best video of the week, maybe of the year, has got to be Boris Johnson and the umbrella. Have you seen this? It's gone absolutely viral uh, around the web. He's uh, The British Prime Minister is sitting at some event with a bunch of dignitaries. It's raining, so he takes out his black umbrella. You would think there'd be an aide to come and, you know, provide shelter from the storm. And he struggles with it, and he finally gets it open, and he smiles at somebody, and then it, it collapses again. So he's got to do it again. And this time, it inverts, and it goes inside out, and other people are laughing. And, I, you know, I guess in some ways Bojo is this kind of a comical figure, but I think the reason it, it, people love watching this is, can you honestly say this has never happened to you? So many of these umbrellas, you know, if there's a wind or it's raining hard, you know, boom. The thing just breaks through and you get all wet and it's just, you know, this even happens to world leaders. Uh, on a less light note, I have to start wearing a mask again. And this is insanity because I work in Fox's Washington Bureau. And now the D.C. mayor, Muriel Bowser, uh, in what I think is a severe overreaction, is saying we're bringing back the mask mandate even if you're vaccinated. So you got all these people that are vaccinated the situation is not exactly severe in the District of Columbia. I mean, the rate has quadrupled, like in a lot of places, but it's 58 cases per 100,000 residents, you know, far lower than during the pandemic. The Delta variant has barely shown up here. Uh, the people who are getting it were vaccinated. The cases are not as severe. The city's hospitals have plenty of beds. So it's not like it's some kind of crisis. It's just, you know, a reaction or, in my view, an overreaction to the CDC. Um, if you are fully vaccinated and you're working with other people who are fully vaccinated, which is the case at Fox, but Fox doesn't control the whole building. It's an office building with a lot of states and lobbyists have offices there. Uh, MSNBC isn't part of the building. Um, you now got to wear a mask again. And it's just frustrating. I mean, I don't mind wearing a mask if I go into a crowded store uh, where I don't know who the people are. Maybe I'm protecting them because I could presumably get it and transmit it to other people. I'm all for that. I would do that voluntarily. But to mandate it for vaccinated people working with similarly vaxxed people. All right, enough about that. Uh, hope you have a good weekend coming up. Media Buzz, Sunday morning, 11 Eastern. Ben Shapiro will be one of my guests. Got a new book out and some interesting things to say, which we will have a vigorous exchange of views, as they say. Scarlett Johansson, this is fascinating, is suing Disney. You probably heard about this. Uh, she filed the suit yesterday against the Walt Disney Company, saying that her contract was breached when uh, her new movie, Black Widow, was released on Disney+. Plus. You know, that's become a kind of a thing. Uh, in the wake of the pandemic, where th where movies that ordinarily would just go out wide for theatrical release now are also going on these streaming services, sometimes simultaneously, because you have Hulu and HBO Max, Disney, and others trying to build up their streaming services. Uh, so it went out to theaters at the same time, and Johansson says that uh, Disney sacrificed the movie's box office potential in order to boost Disney Plus, which has, you know, they put Hamilton on there. So, look, it comes off as a little bit tone deaf because at a time when a lot of people are struggling with the virus, when some people still haven't gotten their jobs back that they lost during the pandemic, uh, she made, according to Disney, $20 million 
on this movie. Now, look, I, you know, if she feels like the, the, the contract was breached, she's entitled to sue. I like Scarlett Johansson. But Disney's statement, there is no merit to this filing. It's especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disney has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract. Uh, and by the way, putting it out on Disney Plus has significantly, significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million. Here's Scarlett's side in the suit. Why would Disney forego hundreds of millions of dollars in box office receipts by releasing the picture in theaters at a time when it knew the theatrical market was weak? Well, this is supposed to come out like a year ago, I believe. Uh, rather than waiting a few months for that market to recover. It was made at least in part because Disney saw the opportunity to promote its flagship subscription service, uh, thereby attracting new paying monthly subscribers, and, and on and on. Um, Scarlett Johansson may play a superhero. She's not coming off as a superhero here. I wonder where public opinion will come down. And I, I just kind of get this in. I talked about how the New York Times has this new feature, and I see it on the homepage every day when I'm scrolling, you know, war, pandemic, economy, infrastructure. And then you come to, hey, here's the latest, uh, here's the best sleeping bag to buy. Uh, so today's, it, there's just something about the tone of it. I mean, it's fine. It's a public service. I'm sure a lot of people click on it, which is the whole point. But they do it in this kind of upbeat, tone like the best nonstick pan to buy the nonstick pan is best tool for cooking fluffy omelets whisper thin crepes and delicate fish fillets without the risk of your food sticking to the bottom as if nobody had ever you know <laughs> heard of this stuff before after cooking many dozens of eggs pounds of fish and countless crepes we think the Tramontina 10-inch professional restaurant fry pan is the best value for the money. I mean, it does sound like an infomercial. And, 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 you know, it can't just be like, hey, you know, here's we think this is the best value. It has to be like, we had hordes of people cooking omelets just so we could make this recommendation for you. And if you act now, you know, Ron Pompey, the, uh, the infomercial guy just died. I mean, he pioneered. Uh, the late night infomercial, right? And, and wait, there's more. I just think they would have toned it down a couple of notches. All right, let's get down to the serious business. Number one, and the serious business always starts with me telling you about the number of new coronavirus cases. And I remember people scoff when it went from 10,000 to 20,000 and to 30,000, and then it was getting more serious. Well, yesterday, 71,000 new cases of COVID-19, up from about 63,000 the day before. And a scoop from the Washington Post. Uh, yesterday, the Post kind of stirred the waters by saying that the CDC, with its new mask mandate, had not um, released the data. It was sitting on this secret scientific data, which is a stupid thing to do, both from a science point of view, transparency point of view, and a communications point of view. Well, now, the Post has obtained this, which I guess is going to be released today. Um, you know, Rochelle Walensky was briefing members of Congress on the Hill. So she had to know this was going to leak. So if you're going to reverse yourself, because remember back in May, it's like, hey, go have cookouts on July 4th. It's all cool. You don't need a mask anymore. You got to release the science to back it up so people will think, you know, that it, it's grounded in facts. So according to the secret internal slideshow, 
The Delta variant appears to cause more severe illness than earlier variants. And before it was said, oh, no, it's about the same. It's just more contagious and spreads as easily as chicken pox. According to this eternal document, which says that officials must acknowledge the war has changed. Well, if we're at war and we are against this virus and if the war has changed, you have to make the case. You can't just be the general issuing new marching orders and expect everybody to salute. So this um, new Delta variant of COVID-19, it, it is so contagious that it, it, it moves more swiftly than Ebola or even the common cold. And the CDC is citing unpublished data from these outbreak, as they're called, investigations and outside studies. Again, still haven't released that which shows, and this is obviously troubling, vaccinated individuals infected with the Delta may be able to transmit the virus to other people as easily as those who are unvaccinated and because they have measurable viral loads similar to the unvaccinated. So they can get it, they can transmit it. Fortunately, in most cases, they themselves don't come down with the serious symptoms that might require hospitalization or leave somebody to be in critical conditions. But one of these slides says there's a higher risk among older age groups for hospitalization and death relative to younger people, regardless of vaccination status. In fact, there's an estimate of about 35,000 symptomatic infections per week among the 162 million vaccinated Americans. So this just muddies the waters further. I mean, I want more people to get vaccinated. I've said this all along. It's very frustrating. You know, the single most frustrating thing is, is that we could have beaten this thing by now. Once there were enough doses that this was widely available in April, if a much higher percentage of those who, for whatever reason, political, racial, uh, rural, age, don't trust the government, don't trust the media, had gotten these life-saving shots, uh, I don't think the Delta variant would have spread anywhere near as far as it has. And instead, we're slowly, slowly, slowly getting back into talking about masks, talking about getting people vaccines, talking about school kids got to wear masks uh, in September, talking about possible lockdowns. It's just so infuriating. Now, President Biden gave a pretty good speech yesterday in which he did a lot of things. He, he did some frank talk about how the virus, at least in terms of the Delta variant, is coming back. He begged, he cajoled, he urged people who were not vaccinated to get the vaccine. And he stopped short of a full mandate, but he provided a lot of incentives for the nearly 4 million federal employees and hundreds of thousands of federal contractors to get vaccinated if they are not already vaccinated. So if you refuse to get it and you work for the federal government, which is a privilege, uh, you now have to provide uh, as many as uh, twice weekly tests showing you don't have the virus. You have to wear masks in the workplace. Uh, your travel is limited. Now, he could have said you lose your job. I guess that would have been seen as draconian. And I think Biden didn't want to trigger too much of a backlash. Um, but clearly he is aiming to make life more uncomfortable for federal employees, millions of them, and whatever percentage it is of those who have not gotten the COVID-19 vaccine. Also, he's urging state and local officials to pay unvaccinated people 100 bucks to get their first dose, get vaccinated for the first time, that is. Um, he says that it's going to be up to the defense secretary 
to decide whether um, people in the military have to get it, but Lloyd Austin is on board. And in fact, I saw stories this morning saying the Pentagon is either going to do this right away or is very quickly moving in that direction. And that makes even more sense. First of all, you know, going back to George Washington and smallpox, you work for the United States Armed Services, you know, they're entitled to say you need this for the protection of you and others because obviously troops live or deploy in very close quarters and they're deploying to countries around the world which are in much worse shape than the United States when it comes to COVID-19. Um, so I think that is coming as well. And there were other things Biden said, you know, the federal government will be more aggressive in providing paid family leave uh, for people to take off time from their jobs if that's what they need in order to get vaccinated. So a big push from the president. There's a backlash from people who saying, you know, this infringes on their civil liberties and who is the president to do this? Uh, I think Joe Biden, if he could, I don't think he has the power. I don't think he thinks he has the power, would mandate vaccines for all Americans. I mean, this is a national health emergency. Um, and I get the argument. I don't want to force anybody to get it. I think it's ultimately up to individuals. You may have special circumstances. Uh, certainly when it comes to your kids, I think it should be up to the parents. But to provide incentives, whether it's financial or otherwise, to urge people to do this as a matter of their patriotic duty, not just to protect themselves, their families, their colleagues, their neighbors, but the rest of society, I think that message is getting through now that the media are playing a more prominent role in pushing this. And yes, you know, you've got media people who are just fed up with the refusal by so many Americans not to do this. Here's Joe Scarborough this morning on MSNBC. If you want to be an idiot, it's not what I do, but if you choose to be an idiot about your personal health and the personal health of your children and the personal health of your family, the personal health of your mother and grandmother and father and grandfather, that's your business. Your community, that's fine. That's your business. But he goes on to say, I don't want you coming into contact with my relatives in hospitals or workplaces or any place else. Again, you know, calling people idiots, I don't think is helpful. I've said this before, but I also understand the growing frustration. Uh, number two, uh, there are some states that already are moving uh, in the opposite direction when it comes to some of these measures. For example, in Texas, Republican Governor Greg Abbott signed an executive order yesterday that bars cities or other government entities in his state from enacting vaccine requirements or mask mandates, even as new daily infections in the Lone Star State reached 13,000, first time since February that Texas has reported uh, a one-day caseload above 10,000. So um, what Abbott says is this should be a matter of personal responsibility rather than government mandates. He says the people of Texas have the individual right and responsibility to decide for themselves and their children whether they'll wear masks, open their businesses, and engage in leisure activities. Same thing going on in Arizona. Republican Governor Doug Ducey, uh, he ripped any idea of enforcing a mandate for masks or vaccines. Arizona does not allow mask mandates, vaccine mask mandates, vaccine passports, or discrimination in schools based on who is or isn't vaccinated, said a statement from Ducey. But other jurisdictions are moving in more in the Biden direction. I mentioned D.C. and Mayor Muriel Bowser with the mask mandate in Nevada. Uh, Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak has brought back the mask mandate. Same thing in L.A. County. Same thing in St. Louis. 
so, you know, I guess I understand why states that have governors with more conservative philosophies would want to give equal weight um, to people's views and not force them to do this. Uh, incentives are great, though. I don't think anybody can argue. I mean, even the hundred bucks thing. I mean, even Biden said in his speech, uh, I understand why people who've already gotten vaccinated might feel like, hey, you know, why didn't I get the money? But it's a public health emergency. And we have to do this. It was a sober speech, and it was a speech in which Biden said we have to follow the science. Um, and he talked about masks as well. It was a speech delivered in the afternoon. Maybe he didn't want to go up against the Olympics. Um, and the media, I think, generally liked the speech. Some conservatives didn't like the speech. And I understand this is an important debate to have. But I think where the personal responsibility argument breaks down, I mean, let's take smoking as an example. Smoking is not illegal. It shouldn't be illegal. There are many, many people in this country who still enjoy smoking, despite what everybody knows is the risk of cancer and death. Um, but except for, you know, questions about secondhand smoke, if you smoke, you're not putting the whole country at risk. If you don't get vaccinated, you are potentially putting at risk anybody you come into contact with if you get the virus. Sometimes you don't know immediately when you've gotten the virus. And so that, I think, is the distinction. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, let's move on now to number three. Um, you know, we've talked a lot since Joe Biden was a candidate for president, when he was the president-elect, and now that he's uh, been more than six months in the Oval Office, about the contrast with Donald Trump when it comes to Biden wanting to be the newsmaker-in-chief. Biden wanting to be uh, throwing punches on Twitter. Biden wanting to dominate the news cycle. Biden wanting to make news even on the weekends or at midnight. That's no Joe Biden. And, and look, Joe Biden is a guy who, if he wasn't trying to discipline himself, loves to talk. I mean, I've known Biden for many, many, many years. And he'll talk to anybody. He'll talk to one person in a crowd. He'll talk to reporters. He'll go on and on and on. Sometimes he gives long answers at these uh, town halls or these news conferences. Um, but he made a decision to help him get elected, that he was going to be the contrast to Trump, that he wanted to lower the temperature, bring things back to some semblance of normality, and not be in the middle of all of these battles, not just the standard political battles that any president would be involved in, but, you know, the culture war battles. And, you know, Donald Trump's a guy who, no matter what it was, you know, NFL protests, how you should eat pizza, golf stuff, uh, Saturday Night Live, you know, Meryl Streep. He had an opinion on everything, and he liked to share it. He loved that mega platform, that global platform. So Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, has a piece today that I think kind of puts it in perspective. It says, Biden is the most powerful man in the world and yet makes almost no impression. It goes a little far. He did just give this big speech yesterday. But no one beside political and media professionals wonders what Biden is going to say about something. That's kind of true or considers him a figure of fascination. That's kind of true. It's one of the things when you're 78 years old and you've been on the national scene for half a century. In fact, he barely rates, and then you go into some of the ratings. Uh, CNN Town Hall averaged about 1.5 million viewers, far eclipsed by Fox News, despite the fact that you had this time with the President of the United States. When Biden gave his, you know, you don't call it a State of the Union when it's your first speech as President, but the joint uh, speech to Congress, 27 million. Donald Trump had drawn 48 million. Okay, so he's not boffo at the box office. 
The contrast, says Lowry, with Trump's constant impossible-to-ignore cocktail of provocation and political melodrama, naturally makes Biden's approach even more stark. And he has some funny lines here. He's the Olympic badminton competition after a WWE match. He's elevator music after a heavy metal concert. He's the sparkler after a fireworks display. Rich, I think we get the point. Biden's presidency is practically pre-modern, almost hearkening back to the pre-mass media days when presidents were neither seen nor heard. And it is true. I mean, you know, you go back even, I mean, a lot of this had to do with mass communications. But when you can only read about a president's words in the newspapers or maybe listen to them on the radio, or if you go back before radio was a thing, um, you go back to... I don't know, even Teddy Roosevelt, who was a, a dominant media personality, given what he had to work with at the time, or a Calvin Coolidge. Um, it is true that the, our lives didn't always revolve around the presidency. Now, as Lowry points out, this is a deliberate choice by the White House, playing on the contrast with Trump and limiting Biden's exposure to distractions and gaffes. That's true. If you hold fewer news conferences, you give fewer interviews, you don't make as many mistakes. Being a low-voltage political figure worked for Biden in his primary and in the general, which I kind of said a moment ago. So why not as president? As a result, Biden strangely doesn't feel like the main event of the Biden years. Now, obviously, I could argue, but he's setting the whole political agenda. He just got the infrastructure deal. We'll see if that collapses. You know how skeptical I am of these things. And that was Biden being Biden. In other words, a lot of what Joe Biden did through his White House and working with people like Mitch McConnell, I'll come to him in a moment, uh, and working with uh, you know some of these centrist senators uh, in the Mitt Romneys of the world, um, was possible because Biden did it away from the cameras. And all the pundits were saying this has fallen apart, including me, and I'm still not sure it's going to survive. But Biden, creature of the Senate, got this done. Given the alternatives, Lowry acknowledges this probably works in Biden's favor. He's pushing a truly radical spending agenda agenda that would, if championed by a more in-your-face progressive president, uh, surely be met with much fiercer resistance. But there are risks to Biden's, too. If his spending agenda founders, it's not clear what comes next. All right. Number four. I have a column today on Fox about Mitch McConnell. And, you know, I've I've met McConnell a few times. You know, it would be an understatement to say he's not the world's most scintillating personality. It would not be an understatement to say that liberals and Democrats have despised McConnell for a very long time. He's been in Senate Republican leader since 2007. It seems like forever. He's seen as rigid and humorless and so partisan he would do anything to help the Republicans. I mean, when, when Democrats think of McConnell... They think of the vow to make Barack Obama one-term president. They think of him refusing to give Merrick Garland a hearing, but pushing Amy Coney Barrett onto the Supreme Court. I'm remembering Barack Obama at one of these press dinners, kind of mocking the advice he'd been given to improve relations with Republicans on the Hill when he said, really, why don't you go get a drink with Mitch McConnell? But suddenly we have strange new respect. Look, there's a CNN headline. Mitch McConnell is doing something he deserves a lot of credit for. What is that? He's pushing vaccinations. By the way, he's pushed vaccinations from the beginning. Mitch McConnell had polio as a kid. And so, as I think I mentioned yesterday, he's using his campaign money to run these 60-second spots on 100 radio stations in Kentucky, trying to get people who are unvaccinated to consider getting the shots. And then he signs on to the bipartisan compromise, 17 Republican senators. This is why I think they may end up 
getting this through unless liberals in the House torpedo it. Because now McConnell appears to be invested in it. I mean, well, McConnell isn't doing this because he likes Joe Biden or because he feels a statesman-like responsibility to help Democrats. He's doing it because Republican voters also like roads and bridges and tunnels and waterworks and transit uh, and broadband. So that would give his side some credit, too. And the media uh, are just now kind of saying, yeah, Mitch McConnell, maybe he's not that bad. Here's the political headline. Pigs fly. McConnell weighs giving Biden the bipartisan win. That was a few days ago before he actually did that. And really, when the turnaround in the way the press views the Senate minority leader came in February, the day that he voted uh, not to convict Donald Trump uh, on impeachment charges, but then gave that speech saying that uh, President Trump bears uh, moral responsibility for the Capitol riot, and it was a disgraceful dereliction of duty. Well, no wonder the press suddenly likes him. And as I mentioned yesterday, Donald Trump hitting McConnell for his weak leadership because Trump, although he always tried to get an infrastructure package, never got very far, uh, says he does not like this particular package. And number five, da 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 da, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. There's a piece on him by Ann Applebaum in The Atlantic. It starts out by saying, look, he's an affable, self-made Midwesterner, one of those goofy businessmen who makes his own infomercials, a recovered crack addict, no less, who laughs good-naturedly when jokes are made at his expense. A man will talk to anybody, willing to listen, and to many who aren't. A philanthropist, a good boss, a patriot, or so he says, who may well be doing more damage to American democracy than anyone since Jefferson Davis. Boom. So Ann Applebaum had lunch with Mike Lindell, who, by the way, um, now complains about Fox and has just, according to media reports, pulled his MyPillow advertising, which used to be on like every 12 minutes, on Fox, saying that Fox has refused to run one of his ads, which is about unverified claims of voting fraud. And, you know, he's on this crusade. He even made a prediction that by the middle of August, Donald Trump will be back in the White House. I mean, compared to even some of the most determined conspiracy theorists, around the former president, Mike Lindell is in another category. But back to the Atlantic piece, uh, Mike Lindell telling the magazine that if it wasn't for attacks by the left, by which he means Politico, the Daily Beast, and maybe her, and Applebaum, his message would never get out because Fox News ignores him. Um, last January, after the January 6th riot, uh, he says a group of uh, still unidentified concerned citizens brought him some computer data. These were allegedly packet captures, intercepted data proving that the Chinese Communist Party, wait, it gets better, altered electoral results in all 50 states. This, uh, Applebaum writes, is a conspiracy theory more elaborate than the purported Venezuelan manipulation of voting machines, more improbable than the allegation uh, millions of supposedly fake ballots were mailed in, more baroque than the belief that thousands of dead people voted, this one has profound implications. And she says, you can mock Lindell, dismiss him, call him a crackhead, but none of this will seem particularly funny when, or if, we have a truly illegitimate president in the White House and a total breakdown of law and order, meeting in 2024, depending on what happens. Um, and what does uh, Lindell say? He says, look, I don't have to worry about that. Do you understand I've been attacked? I have 2,500 employees and I've been attacked every day. Do I look like a stupid person? that I'm doing this for my health, I have better things to do. These guys brought me this. This is the alleged Chinese communist conspiracy, all 50 states. 
And I owe it to the United States, to all, whether it's Democrat or Republican, whoever it is, to bring this forward to our country. Um, this is non-subjective evidence. And Ann Applebaum, over this lunch, which gets more uncomfortable as it goes on, says, well, I don't see anybody arresting you. And then he really gets annoyed. He says, okay, I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about social media. Why did they attack me? Why did bots and trolls attack all of my vendors? I was the number one selling product of every outlet in the United States. Every one. Every single one. All of them dropped like flies. You know why? Because bots and troll groups were hired. They were hired to attack. Well, now I've done investigations. They come out of a building in China. So it is true that my pillow sales have been drastically hurt. And I don't think there's any question that his outspoken political stance in favor of Trump and these conspiratorial election theories that he is spinning had something to do with that. Some of these companies, I don't know if it's Bed Bath & or others, say they dropped my pillow because sales were down. And I guess it's a chicken egg thing. You know, you speak out politically. Some people don't like that. Maybe they don't buy your pillows. And then retailers, you know, who are in business to make money saying, well, I'm not going to carry these pillows anymore because the product isn't moving. Um, look, I think it's a smart thing to sit down with him and hear what he has to say. It does to me, come across like Looney Tunes, Chinese communist conspiracy. How would they do this? What is this evidence? Why doesn't he show it? Who does it come from? Um, but nevertheless, he's still making news. And even this Atlantic piece is bringing to more people's attention the fact that the My Pillow guy has something to say, because obviously he's struggling, social media and elsewhere, to find ways to get his message across. And in a fair and balanced matter, I've just given you his message, what The Atlantic says, and my two cents on that. Well, again, hope you have a good weekend coming up. Media Buzz, Sunday morning, 11 Eastern. We're going to talk about a whole lot of this stuff, you know, some of which we've talked about earlier on the podcast, even before you read it in the New York Times. That's my job. Like this McConnell thing. You'll see somebody in the next couple of days will say, hey, Mitch McConnell is getting strange new respect. I try to get out there a little bit early so you get some value out of this. Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts. I was reading... Um, the other day, there's a lot of places you can get podcasts, including ones that I never heard of, but apparently are pretty popular. Maybe I'll give you a full rundown next week. Your Amazon device is a good one. Uh, we'll see you back here on Monday with more BuzzFeed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.